0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good to see you this morning. My name's Chase. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to share with you guys about something we have going next Saturday. About once a quarter, we have a newcomer's brunch and our Lead Pastor Gary, his wife Bev's home, that's at 6711 Naples in Temple, Texas. If you're new to TBC and you'd like to be part of that, if you'd lift up your hands and there are ushers that are coming down, love to get you a card that'll give you information on that. Anybody this morning. That's an adult-only event. There is child care provided that'll be here at the church, and again, that's 10 next Saturday. Anybody right over here, we've got somebody. Anybody else? Right back there, we've got a couple more folks. Also, want to tell you about something that's happening today. It's a little bit late this month because it's happening today. We do something every first Sunday called the drop. And what we do is take non perishable food items, put them in a grocery bag, and put them behind our car. Some of our youth, sometimes adults, go and pick those up. And we partner with Churches Touching Lives for Christ to get that food to some of the most needy and vulnerable families and people in our city. So I'm telling you about that today so you can mark your calendar and you can bring food the first Sunday of next month. That's the cool thing about it. Every month there's a first Sunday so you can bring it next month. We, we would love really for the mantra of the drop to be a bag behind every car. There'd be so much food that pantries wouldn't know what to do with it. So that's the drop. And then finally, along with CTLC, we're working with Hogs for a Cause to help flood victims in Denham Springs, Louisiana, right near Baton Rouge. After that, horrible flooding and we have so many clothes we don't need more donations but we do need volunteers to sort clothes that will be next saturday out at the outback at 8 a.m we need about 30 volunteers to be there so you can just show up or you can call the church office and let them know you'd like to be part of that we're going to be in acts chapter one kind of starting place today We're finishing a series. All summer long we've been going through a series called Jesus Is. And we've looked at different aspects of Jesus' character as well as some of His ability. And next week we'll start another series in Galatians. The title of that series will be simply One. We've looked at all these different ways of Christ and aspects of His character, different traits that He has that we've loved and been encouraged and challenged by. I guess a question that has been on my mind as I prepared for today is, what is Jesus doing now? What's Jesus doing now? The Gospels tell the story of His coming, His living a perfect life, His dying according to the Scriptures, being buried and raising on the third day according to the Scriptures, and they fit into the larger story of the Scripture, and then they fit into this grand story that's not written on books, but in the pages of the hearts of men and women of what God is doing throughout all history. He's the center of the story. He's not just the center of that grand story. He is the center of this grand story, which the story of our lives is about, and it It really starts like this. It starts with creation. God makes a man and a woman and He makes a place for them. And it is good. It's good. But they foul things up really, really quickly. And we talk about that as the fall. The fall of humanity when Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the serpent, didn't obey the voice of God, and rebelled against God. That was millennia ago. How does that affect me, Chase? Listen, the fall of humanity affects every person, every life, and every culture of every nation and every language on the planet. It's the reason there's disease. It's the reason there's death. It's the reason there are broken and shattered lives. It's the reason there's addiction. It's the reason there's war. It's the reason there's enmity between the races. The fall affects everything. And shortly after the fall, we begin to see glimpses of redemption or a Redeemer who would come. And the whole Old Testament is really pointing to Jesus while the pre-incarnate Christ waits for His time to come. Even right after the fall, God pronounces judgment on the man and the woman who rebelled. And then He pronounced judgment on the serpent who deceived them. And as part of that judgment, He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's this first little prophetic sign that someone is coming to destroy the works of the devil. To crush this brokenness in the serpent himself. He shall bruise your head. It's going to be from the woman's offspring. We also see... God makes a covering of animal skins. He makes a sacrifice for the sin of the man and the woman. And we see someone is coming. And really throughout the Old Testament, there's this promise of one who's coming. It's the offspring of the woman. The king God is promising. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says it, every story whispers his name. And the people are waiting and waiting and waiting. But then so is the pre-incarnate Christ. And then Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time came, when it was the perfect time and the perfect place and the perfect moment, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who are under the law. And so He came and He lived and He died and He rose from the dead. And now He's waiting again. He's waiting again. Now mind you, it's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's an active waiting. Scripture tells us He's gone to prepare a place for us that where He is we may be also. It tells us that He lives to make intercession for us. He's waiting for this time to come again. So this begs the question, Number one, why is he waiting? Number one, why is he waiting? And then number two, really, how is he waiting? Or who or what is he waiting for in this season of redemptive history? What is he waiting on in this moment? So we're going to kind of survey some things. Acts chapter one will be a book in. We're a Bible church, we typically teach through books of the Bible. Sometimes in the summer, we do a topical series, or sometimes we'll do a three or four-week series that's topical. And when we do that, we survey lots of text. And so we'll do that this morning, but we'll start. We'll start in Acts 1, six through 11. So, when they had come together, his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Say, so they, they still thought he was going to crush their oppressors, Rome, and restore the kingdom of God to Israel, that Israel would find a place of multinational prominence in the world. And Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Now I find that in verse 10, verse 11, that's kind of a curious question. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Can you imagine His Father? Did Jews just see what happened? They saw a guy bodily, who'd risen from the dead, ascend into the clouds. Can you imagine being an eyewitness to that? If that happened here today, I see some white hair, we would have to call ambulances. Some of you would have heart attacks. We got a good cardiologist over here, so we're okay, right? It was this amazing thing. It's the most natural thing in the world that they would stand with their eyes wide and their mouths open. But I think there's a message in there for the disciples. Why are you standing staring into heaven? Didn't you hear what he just said? You're going to be his witnesses. It's it's time to get to work. He ascended into heaven and he is waiting. He's waiting. And so this will kind of be a bookend that we are to be his witnesses as he's waiting. So the first question was, why is he waiting? Why is he waiting? And the answer to this is that he's waiting because he's compassionate. He's waiting because He's compassionate, He's gracious, He's merciful, He's kind. First Peter says it like this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. You see the brokenness in the world. You experience pain, you experience difficulty, and it feels like He's slow. Jesus, won't you just come back? But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, there's something implicit in there that some people do not like to hear. Some are going to perish. They reject Christ. They perish. He says it this way. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Father who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. He wants all to come to the truth, but there's one mediator. There's only one way. People hear this teaching that they will perish without Christ or that He's the only way. We call it the exclusivity of Jesus. He's the only way for salvation. People hear that sometimes and they they don't find it to be a compassionate teaching. But the reality is I think it might be the most compassionate teaching because there is a way. We don't deserve it. Nobody does. We've all sinned, we're by nature children of wrath. But there is a way, there is a way, there is no other, and He's patient. He's patient. Your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your acquaintances, people you pass on your morning drive, people you pass in the hall at the office, people you'll never meet, your worst enemies, people of other religions who don't yet know. He's patient, not wanting that any would perish, but that they might know his forgiveness and grace and life. He's patient. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's kind. He's a good king. That's why he waits. That's why he waits. Well, what is he waiting on? What is he waiting on? Who is he waiting for? We'll talk about just a few things. He's waiting on or waiting for in this moment. First, He's waiting on a word from the Father. He's waiting on a word from the Father. About a thousand years before Jesus came to earth, there's a messianic psalm that speaks of the coming one. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's waiting on a word from the Father. and. He will come back and His enemies will be made a footstool. He will crush them. He will step on their neck. He will set all things right. Well, how do we know that speaking about Jesus a thousand years before He was born, the writer of Hebrews looks back and says it. in Hebrews chapter 1, he's comparing Jesus to all these different things and he's showing that He's more superior even than the angels. And in verse 13, he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The writer of Hebrews brings this up again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, it's One sacrifice for the sins of all humanity, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's waiting on this word from the Father until His enemies are made a footstool at His feet. And this is really, really good news for us. I think it's good news for lots of reasons, but I want to hone in on one. It's because of this. The last enemy to be defeated, the Scripture says, is death. The last enemy to be defeated is death. And death is really kind of the poster boy for fallenness. And it will be defeated. What does that mean that death is the poster boy for fallenness? Well, what does disease lead to if not healed? It leads to death. What does addiction lead to if not curbed? It leads to death. What does anger lead to? It leads to division that can sometimes lead to death. What does war lead to? It leads to death. Even greed can lead to death of ourselves or the death of others. And He will defeat that enemy. Death is not just a poster boy for fallenness. It's the ultimate consequence of brokenness and the very wages of our sinfulness. And Jesus is going to return and He's going to set all things right and there will be a day for all those who are in Christ when the words death and brokenness are only used in the past tense. Can you imagine that world? where we could literally look back and say, "Man, do, do you do you remember when death existed? What wasn't that awful? I'm so glad that doesn't exist anymore. Do you do you remember when there was brokenness? Do you remember when there was fighting between the nations and fighting between the races? Do you remember when there was such a thing as cancer and heart disease? Aren't you glad those don't exist anymore?" Can you imagine what it will be like to be with our King when He has set all things right and now He waits on a word from the Father to come? We wait for that day as well. We hope for it. We look to it. We long for that day to come. But what do we do? What do we do? Well, He told us how to pray toward it. I believe He also wants us to labor toward it. When Jesus was telling His disciples how to pray... He first told them to call God their Father, which was an amazing thing. And to recognize Him as Him who is in heaven, to, to give reverence for His name. And then He said this. He said, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that God's kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we live in this tension of the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. He has risen and the sparks of new creation have begun, but there's a not yet, the kingdom has not been fully consummated. And so we wait and we pray, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And I believe we don't just pray, we labor toward it. And when we do, our king who's waiting is working through us. He's working through us. And and our lives can be like signposts for the kingdom that is coming, for a world that's watching. There are all kinds of ways that we can labor for the king to come. And you might hear this and think, well, how do I serve my community? How can I be light How can I be light? How can my life be a signpost? There are lots of ways that we do that in our city and around the world. And if you're interested in doing that in our city, you can just go to our website. There's a banner on the front page that says, For the City. And you click on that and there are all kinds of opportunities to serve. What are other ways that you can be a signpost, that you can labor and He can be at work within you while He waits and we wait for the kingdom to come? Some of you are laboring with your lives to see an end to abortion to rescue millions and millions of children. And as you do, you're a signpost to the king that's coming. Some of you labor alongside single moms who are making brave and bold and courageous choices of life for their children, whether that be through parenting or through adoption placement. And you're working in their lives, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a signpost as they flourish to the kingdom that's coming. Some of you are caring for the poor and practical And empowering ways. I've got a friend that I think is a great example. My friend Rucker is working really, really hard to see an end to predatory lending in the state of Texas. He's working alongside others to stop predatory lending. And what that is, is it's a lending process through which the impoverished are just kept in poverty. And it really needs to end. And as he does that in the name of Jesus, I believe he's a signpost to the kingdom some of you are working really, really hard to drown out polarizing voices in the media and our government and our culture that do not want to see a racially reconciled church. Some of you are laboring hard toward racial unity among the body of Christ, a thing by its very existence, the scripture says, is a sign to demonic forces that would keep us apart. Those are just a few of the ways that we labor and He works through us while we wait for the kingdom to come. Some of you, as you do this work, you know that it can be exhausting. And in a broken world, the struggle for peace and justice in Christ to reign and for love to be the affection and action of the day while we wait for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, sometimes we get weary, sometimes we get frustrated, sometimes we grow bitter, sometimes we make enemies out of flesh and blood, and our battle is not against flesh and blood. And the answer is really to go to Jesus, because He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to rest in Him, to be rooted in Him and built up in Him. It's, it's interesting to work with missionaries and sometimes watch them get exhausted and just to lovingly remind them we got to be rooted and resting in Christ if we're going to do this work well. That's, that's one kind of, of weariness that comes about and he's waiting on the weary, but there's another kind of weariness. There's this weariness from labor in Christ where we want to rest in Him and wait on Him so we can run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint. But there's another kind of weariness that comes from just trying to do life on our own terms. Just trying to do life on our own terms. Is anybody here a control freak? Don't raise your hand. We'll make fun of you, okay? I'll I'll tell you, Gary, our, uh, our, our boss, he manages this well, but he's kind of a control freak. And so... He's got a couple of things going on out of his control, and one of that is LSU's hopes and dreams in football this year. <laughs> y'all y'all pray for him. Another, and now listen, my team's undefeated so far. We hadn't played yet. Uh, an- another, another though, is that Gary, he just got back from a 40th anniversary trip. He and Bev had a great time, but he's got some tooth pain, so y'all pray for him. That brother might need Bluebell. See, he can't control either of those things, and... We live life, a lot of times, if you're a control freak like me, we try to control all kinds of things we can't control. And we fail at controlling the one thing we can control, ourselves. And we just get exhausted. And some of you, you're not just doing that, you're trying to do that on your own terms. You're really trying to be the Lord and King, the ruler of your own life. And just like anybody who tries to do that, you're failing miserably at that. And, and you know, really, that there's one who died for you and who rose from the dead to give you life in Him and bring you into His body, the church. And, and you just don't do it. And I, If you're weary, if you're weary, just like He said to a crowd of people He was teaching when He was here on earth, I believe He would say to you, He would say to you, I'm going backwards here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. The God who made the world in it and everything in it, He says, I will give you rest. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I prayed with somebody last hour and said, I just want to know what that means. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I'll tell you what it does mean. It means that when you come to Christ, there's still a struggle. It means that when you come to Christ, there's still a lot of work left to be done. You shall be his witnesses. But that yoke, that's what was put on an ox's neck as it did work. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those oxen would carry a burden. He says, there's work to be done, but rest in me. Rest in me. And when you rest in me, there are days that would seem so difficult that that the burden can seem light. But if you're not resting in me, you're going to grow weary and lose heart. So if you're weary... He says, come to me. He says, come to me. If that's you, I just wonder, why not now? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Well, weary, the weary are just a subset of really the whole world. He's waiting on the world because he would that none would perish. Some will, and when they do, they will be without excuse. But it's his desire they would come to him. He says, if any comes to me, I'll never cast him out. The Father wanted us so much, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus, through His death and resurrection, is both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Him. He is waiting. And as He waits on the world, there are kind of a couple of categories that people will, will fit into. And one is there's a lot of people who've never heard. A lot of people who've never heard. You might say, chasing this world with the technology we have. Are there really people who've never heard that Jesus died and rose from the dead on their behalf? That He's God's Son who's made a way for Him or for them? And the answer is yes, yes. The great majority of people who've never heard live in a place called the 10:40 window. That's 10 to 40 north of the equator. A lot of North Africa. The Middle East and Asia live in that area. This is where 97% of the least reached people groups on the planet live. What does that mean? That means that when someone's lost, they're in one of two categories. They have gospel access, like if someone lives in temple and doesn't know Jesus, it's because they've rejected Christ or because their neighbors haven't told them. There are churches and plenty. The other category is people with little or no gospel access. And some of these nations, there's literally 2 million people for every Christian worker there. It's the heart of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. So in Hinduism... People have heard of Jesus as one of a pantheon of gods, but not that you must trust in him and him alone for salvation. Islam, they've heard of Isa or Jesus as one of several prophets, but not the one who died and rose from the dead as God's son on their behalf. In the 1040 window, there are 865 million Muslims, 550 million Hindus, 150 million Chinese, 270 million Buddhists. 140 million tribals that they live in areas where there's little or no gospel access 4.4 billion people Or two-thirds of the world's population live in the 1040 window and they're all made in the image of god and we see numbers like this And it can be overwhelming But let me tell you about a a guy i met named abdul aziz He's a cab driver and he works in a nation in the middle east where we have some workers and abdul aziz has a good wife just like I do. He has five kids just like I do. The difference in Abdulaziz and me is one, he doesn't know Jesus and the other is that his wife and five kids live in their home country and he works for two years driving a cab just to have enough money for them to live. He goes home for a month and then comes back and works for two years again. And when I shared with Abdulaziz the good news that Jesus Christ has made a way for him, he had never Heard. He's in his 40s. He had never heard the gospel story. met another guy that one of our workers had been working with. His name was Muhammad. He was from Syria. He had come to faith. His wife, about four weeks after we were there, she came to faith. Until they got to this nation, they had never heard the gospel presented. That Jesus is Lord and Jesus is risen. These are people. These are people that according to Revelation, Jesus died for. It says there will be a people from every nation gathered around the throne. They sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood they're speaking to Jesus you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. They reign On the earth. That's going to happen. This people from every tribe, tongue and nation. That's what we labor for. But it's not just people over there. It's people right here. He's waiting on people at Scott and White. And at McLean. And PDI. And Acer. And TISD. And BISD. And Carpenter. And Wilson Art. He's waiting. Because he's not slow in keeping his promises. But he would that nine would perish. Maybe you're one of those people and you feel far from Christ. You don't truly know Him in a personal way. And The Scripture says, now is the time and today is the day. Why would you wait any longer? See, this reality that He's told us to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth and that there are people who still don't know means the the last group He's waiting on is He's waiting on His witnesses. He's waiting on the church. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I I wonder if now some of us are hoping for His coming and just kind of looking to the sky. We're just looking to the sky like the disciples were instead of being his witnesses, instead of sharing the love of Christ. He's waiting on people with beautiful feet who will take the gospel to the nations. He's waiting on people who will wear out their knees, praying for his kingdom to come. He's waiting on people who will live with a lifestyle of radical generosity, giving that those with beautiful feet might go and make much of Jesus among the nations. If you're, if you're a college student or a young adult, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And I guess while I'm talking to you, we'll let the rest of the church hear. So I want to challenge you guys to think about what it looks like to make much of Jesus among the nations. And you might be in your late fifties, like a guy I talked to last week, who's preparing to launch to the nations for the glory of God. But if you're in college or you're a young adult, 18 to 25, You got a great opportunity because your your next four years, UMHB students, you might see some amazing things happen. You might figure out what your major is. Um, You might graduate in such a way as to get gainfully employed, maybe. Uh, you, You might find a spouse, but you might even find out why you're on the planet. It's such a transformative time, and I... I want you to hear from a, a friend of mine. We're just going to call him Brew. Nine years ago, he was sitting right where you are as a college freshman. He came and got plugged in at TBC. There's a missions discipleship study that my wife and I do that he was part of, and he continued to grow and pursue Christ. And And then he launched. He launched to the nations. And we've ended all of our all of our services this summer by either hearing a testimony or seeing a video testimony, and so we're going to see a video of Brew right now, and if if you're watching on live stream, we want to say thanks, and we're glad that you're watching. I want to also apologize to you because we've got to cut the volume for this video just because of where he lives and what he's about for security reasons. The volume will come right back up when he's done. See, his time in college, students, transformed him in a way that I wonder if it might transform some of you. You guys listen to my friend, Brew.
1: Hey, TVC, I would say that it's good to see you, but I cannot see you. So um, I will say that it's good to be seen by you, to be loved by you, discipled by you, sent out by you, supported by you, prayed for by you, um, as a body, we are honored to be reflecting the grace of Christ um, with you and through you to the world. And so um, thank you. It's an honor to be partnered with you. I know I speak for my family and I, um, and our team and I, that we're honored to be here. And students, I was there, man. I was sitting uh, I was sitting in those chairs nine years ago as a freshman at UMHB. There were really two primary reasons that I stuck with TBC outside of that relationship with Chase. And the first one was he had invited anybody that was interested to join this missions Bible study. Um, I do this because it's a a hard word to get our head around, but uh, it was focused on learning, praying for the nations. What does God's Word tell us that He's doing in the world? And it was just this idea, if you're interested, come check it out. Just looking back from the grace of God, I knew that the local church is it. It's the bride. It's the redeemed gathering. It's the biblical foundation for what we're doing. And I knew that if I was going to study about the nations, if I wanted to make disciples, if I wanted to to be a part of what God is doing in the world, that meant I was in the local church. TBC, you discipled me um, to love the nations, but you discipled me to love the church. And uh, the next four years in college changed my life. And the trajectory was straight to Jesus. There was ups and downs. asked Chase. There was ups and downs, but I, the trajectory was to Jesus and to serving the nations, to serving the neighbors that we have. And um, it just ultimately changed my life. And I learned the realization, the reality that you're talking about today, that... Jesus is waiting. And that means he's necessarily waiting on the church, the redeemed, his bride. Everyone can send financially, um, driving someone to the airport as they're leaving to move overseas. Uh, Everyone can pray. We can be learning. We can pray for these peoples by their names that don't know Jesus. Right now, Truthfully, I can hear these kids playing in the street outside my window, and they—they'll grow up not knowing Jesus unless someone um, goes and tells them we are the vehicle of the gospel of the good news to these people, to ourselves, to the world. The local church is it. It's the vehicle.
0: It's, it's so encouraging to watch that as a, a guy that I got to mentor for a little while and then he just became a friend and to hear him speak about you, the church, and the impact that you had on his life. And, and now students, he's in one of the least reached places on the planet with his wife and his kids and a couple of other couples and they are laboring hard to make much of Jesus. And maybe he's waiting on witnesses just like you. There's another way in which He's waiting. He's gone to prepare a place for us. In church, you need to know, He does not leave us as orphans. He's gone there that where He is we may also be. He will bring us and present us to Himself as His bride without blemish or spot. And that's a beautiful day. So what do we do? What do we do in response to that? Well, there are maybe a few ways we can respond Students, if you're interested in being part of a group like Brandon talked about, we'll crank that back up September 25th. You can go to the church website. My name's Chase. You can find me there. Email me. Say I'd like to be part of the group. Come talk to me after service. We'd love to invite you into our home and walk with you over the next few years. It's a good time. Maybe you're a young adult. Maybe you're 75. And you say, you know what? I think I might want to go to the nation's. Spend my life for the glory of God. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe it's that you want to be a prayer warrior. Cry out for those who don't know. Maybe it's through giving. Or, or maybe you're some of the weary that we talked about. Maybe you're weary from labor. Or maybe you're just weary from t- trying to do life without Jesus leading the way. We're going to sing a song together to close our time. And I'm going to be down front. If there's any way I can pray with you, if you want to know Jesus is King, if you want me to pray that He would give you strength in this journey, I'd be happy to meet with you and pray with you. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, that your promises are true and that one day you will defeat your enemies. They'll be made a footstool and there will be no more death. There will be no more brokenness. God, we long for the day when your kingdom does come and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. God, as we look to that day, we labor. Make us witnesses, God, right here where we are in Central Texas. Let us love and share the gospel in our lives with people. Father, for Men and women in this room who are weary and worn out, God, I pray that they might come to you and find a rest in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? If you need to step out and come, I'll be here.
2: No sorrow heaven can't. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, and all who are broken, lift up your face. able to come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't kill Earth has no sorrow So heaven came So lay down your glory. Lay down your heart and come as you are. Father, as we come, Lord, we lay all things before you. Father, you don't require change before we can call on you. Thank you, Lord, that you did come. While we were hopeless and lost, you came that we might have life. Lord, we are grateful, for we are nothing without you. And as we reflect on your goodness this day, Lord, would your spirit work within us that we might live a life that shows our love for you to a watching world. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed.